listening to the Girl on Book Action podcast. Now, with more speaking and less reading. This month, we're reviewing Paranormal Activity and Silk. Your reviewers are Irene, also known as Doomwench, and Amanda, also known as Ren. Here we are again, and we're once more switching things up. Can't let you get too comfortable now, can we? Anyway, I'm reviewing a movie for this special Halloween episode of Girl on Book Action, as if we don't talk about creepy crawlies enough. Yeah, how can you tell we're doing a Halloween episode anyway? Oh, and the world's gone all topsy-turvy because I'll be reviewing a book this time around. Ah, horror. He's a bastard, but I love him. Those of you who have read the blog know that I've got kind of a dysfunctional relationship with the genre, and that both Doomy and me are simply suckers for a good monster story. Also, for a second change of pace, we're not going to be talking about anything Ellen Datlow related this time around. Though you can look forward to Supernatural Noir next month, because we can't let innovation get out of hand. I decided that while I was wallowing the things I loved, I might as well read a Caitlin R. Kiernan novel, rather than trying to slog through an unknown quantity. Yes, yes, we can both be a little <clears throat> biased, to say the least, about this particular author. But this is her earliest novel. It's Caitlin R. Kiernan at her roughest, and the book is more specifically in a genre than her current than her current broader style. So I'm hoping I can be a little bit less of a mascara and fishnetted cheerleader and more of a hard-nosed critic. So I'll try to keep my slobbering to a minimum. For me, Silk is very much a story that makes me recall, a little bit shamefully, but also kind of fondly, a younger, poutier, and much more serious me. Yes, it's about the adventures of misanthropic, mentally scarred goth girls getting tangled up with monsters and sinister geometry. Without giving too much away, Spider, who is less of a heroine and more of a catalyst, is a bit magic and a lot crazy. After her circle of friends attempts a, pi- a peyote-fueled ritual, they start sleeping badly and seeing disturbing creatures. Things don't really look up from there. What's not to like, right? Well, all right, there's a couple of things not to like. Really, if you're past 21, it might be a tad difficult for you to take some of the characters' personal problems seriously. Oh, sure, scary madness carries over throughout age groups, but kids being cruel really doesn't. Which actually brings me to my main gripe about Silk. And it's something I can almost never say about Kiernan. It has the standard horror problem of taking too long to get to the action. While typically Kiernan strings me along extremely successfully with hints of hints and brief scares before we get into the bones of the story, uh, for example, in The Red Tree, we spend most of the book building mood and getting teeny tiny pieces of the puzzle. Um, I found my attention wandering in about the first two-thirds of Silk. Listening to people talk about their favorite bands and why their boyfriends are dicks is plenty tedious enough in real life without having it leak into my pleasure reading. Honestly, I think the cast was too large for the premise, which was cool, but really could have been done in less time. And if we'd cut out some of the backstories of the more incidental characters and focus more on Spider and Nikki's relationship and their spiral into the land of dissociated crazy, it would have been a much tighter read. But naturally, this is Kiernan after all. I do have quite a bit of drooling to do, so I'll just (coughs) wipe off my chin here. There aren't many authors whose monsters I enjoy quite as much as Kiernan's, and the slowly revealed, half-unreeled, skittering creatures in silk might be my favorite a lot. For weeks after reading this for the first time, every scratching noise I heard brought me back to the scenes in the book. Kiernan builds on things we see and hear every day and turns them into something to be concerned about. And this is usually where we'd start talking about the uncanny as a literary device, but I'm running this show, so tra-la-la-la-la, hooray for garbage monsters. 
And while I do have my complaints about the pacing of the first half of the book, once things start get moving, it doesn't let go. But not in the usual way of horror, where characters start rushing around from place to place, going into caves and quarries, uh, staking monsters and things like that. Uh, the build in this happens more with character conversations and off-kilter events. Ramping up the tension without ramping up the action isn't an easy thing to do, but she does it beautifully. When I was younger, Silk was always the, K the Kiernan book that I'd recommend to my friends to get them into a favorite author. So much so, in fact, that I bought my fourth copy of it to reread for this review. If you love an author, let them go. After reading it again with mellower and, let's face it, older eyes, I would pick a different one now. Not difficult to guess that uh, I'm now cramming copies of the Red Tree down people's throats. I'm on my third copy now. Or failing that, I'd recommend A is for Alien, which contains some of her short sci-fi short stories. But you can't borrow that one. It's harder to get my mitts on. Silk has a lot going for it, no bones about it. But I enjoy Kiernan's more recent work quite a bit more. She's grown immensely as a writer in the last handful of years. And naturally, uh, I've noticed since my tastes have become quite a bit more refined... Now, I have a confession. I got this assignment because I'm a huge wuss when it comes to scary movies. I can do monster flicks, and I love vampires, zombies, werewolves, mummies, and various other ghouls and goblins. What I can't handle at all are ghost-slash-supernatural movies. So, of course, I watched one of those for this review, which I'm working on while I avoid trying to go to sleep because I'm absolutely terrified. Do you see the sacrifices I make for girl-on-book action? I'm not sure what it is about ghost stories that gets under my skin, but they stick in my head and cause sleeplessness. Another oddity in all this is that I really enjoy watching shows like Ghost Hunters and Paranormal State, which are, you know, supposed to be real-life ghost stories. Double. Quiet, you. It's my turn. <laughs> I remember once... Many years ago now, my then-boyfriend and I were going to watch 13 Ghosts. Around the time the ghostly activity started in that, he told me not to look. I spent the rest of the movie not looking, but he refused to turn it off, so I listened. I was almost beside myself with terror by the time the damn thing was over. The things my imagination conjured up to go with the sounds were about a thousand times worse than the actual movie, which I watched the next day to allay my fears. And, um, it was kind of lame, to be honest. And my imagination supplied a way scarier story, because it's overactive, and I think about horror too much, and therefore it's in my blood. So, what movie has me quaking in my proverbial boots now? Paranormal Activity. I can't say that I actually watched it, because I spent a lot of time watching my cat sleep next to me on the couch, or checking my Twitter feed, or contemplating the arrangement of my bookshelf. I mostly watched the daytime scenes, which were way less scary. Still, I saw enough to be terrified. No, I did not watch the end, really. I caught a couple of glimpses, and that was more than enough. This isn't so much a review as a confessional of my complete and utter wimpiness. For the sake of professionalism, let me tell you at least something tangible. 
Paranormal Activity is one of those found footage movies, complete with shaky camera work and an unlikable guy behind said apparatus. His girlfriend is being haunted and he gets the camera to document what's happening. He also spends a bunch of time antagonizing the ghost, which a psychic tells them is actually a demon. Things get progressively worse. I spent less and less time actually watching the movie. (laughs) And the whole found footage camera thing is lame. Not only was it annoying and shaking, but it got left behind or pointed in the wrong direction, although I really preferred it that way. Pointing away from the action is probably intentional and meant to build suspense, but it just ends up being irritating. What did work well was some of the low-key and completely terrifying scenes, like when the girl just sort of stands next to the bed for hours while the time in the bottom of the screen scrolls forward. I guess as far as these types of flicks go, it's a good one, but I don't have enough experience with them to be certain. I saw Blair Witch a couple of months ago and wasn't hugely frightened of that one, but it did set me on the trail of the unlikable person with a camera. Oh, and the more stylized quarantine was scary but forgettable. Well, except for the bizarre and creepy ending. In conclusion, I should have wussed out and watched a monster movie. As a postscript, when I did sleep, I slept with a light on. And I had horrible nightmares. Totally unrelated to anything ghostly, which is to say that my subconscious, once again, showed that movie who's boss. And now, for an erudite discussion. What? So, seriously, you make your livings on horror. You aren't allowed to hide under your magic blanket from it. Hey, you know, give me a werewolf or a vampire or some sort of glistening ooze monster that com- that's coming to tear me to bits, and I'm fine. It's just the insubstantial creepy crawlies that I don't like. You know, like stuff I can't see. Or aliens. So what, seriously, you're a, a werewolf popping out of the woods and just, like, chasing you down and then, like, clawing you in the back. That's not scary, but having... Like a guy wandering around in your house shaking your coffee tin, that's really going to freak you out? Well, see, if, if if the werewolf thing happened, it would be scary in the moment. I mean, I'm sure I would be, like, screaming or crying or something, you know, but I don't really, you know, worry about it when I go outside, but... The whole ghost thing? I mean, it could happen any time. I mean, I, there could be a ghost watching me right now, trying to figure out how to, you know, scare the crap out of me as soon as I finish talking to you. It's terrifying. But but you see, with with the werewolf thing, you don't, I mean, you're, you're dead. Like, there, there's no getting back afterwards. You're, you're, that, that's, that's the end. You can't plan. Like, with a ghost, you'd be okay. You, you just, you'd have to figure out how to get rid of the ghost, but... With the werewolf thing, then you are dead. That's it. No plan. Well, but but I, I, I have a plan, and that plan is to just, you know, run faster than one other person. You know, sacrifice a friend or stranger or, you know, whoever. Just sacrifice somebody else to that werewolf. Wait, so you're telling me you don't have to outrun the werewolf, you just have to outrun me? Is this is what is this what's going on here? You or whoever else might be with me, yeah. Are you sacrificing me to werewolves? Maybe. Well, I wish ghosts upon you. I wish ten ghosts. 
how dare you? And to be perfectly honest, I've only ever used you in my zombie survival plan, not in my werewolf survival plan. Then I guess that's the thing. Like, a ghost, what, what would a ghost do? Well, it would scare the crap out of me and pester me and make sure I can't sleep and, you know, stuff like that and make it so I can't find important things. But it wouldn't turn me into a cool monster. You could turn into a ghost if there's ghosts. You could be yep. a ghost. But I don't think that's as cool as being a werewolf. So, so okay, so you're, you're scared of uh, insubstantial things. Like, what, like, so like fog? Is that scare? Is that scarier to you than say like a rock? Yes, because of Silent Hill, fog oh. is very, very scary. All right, I suppose you have a point there. Si- the fog in Silent Hill was very, very scary. It was. Re- remember that time we played Silent Hill two, and it was like this marathon game, and we were like hopped up on sugar and caffeine, and when we went back out into the world, it was this strange alien place. Oh, and that fluffy stuff that was like fairground cotton candy in a horrible bag. Yes, it was amazing. And you could drop it into your Pepsi and it would dissolve. It was great. Oh, that did not make the world seem like a real place. I was very concerned. Yeah, and that game was so scary. We had to play it in the group. (laughs) Yeah, we, we did. Oh, goodness me. We had like... There was, like, five or six of us playing it in shifts, and you'd sort of, like, sleep a tiny little bit, and then you wake up to those noises. Those horrible noises. Yeah, all right, okay. You got me on fogs. Fog is scarier than rocks. Yep, fog is scary and full of horrible zombie monsters. Yeah, but you shouldn't be afraid of those zombie monsters, because they're tangible. You don't need to worry about that. Yeah, but because of the fog, you can't see them until it's too late. This whole, this whole level of tangibility thing is a very strange way to be afraid of things, Irene. You know that, right? Yes. My fears are complex. <laughs> but enough about me. Let's talk about Silk. I have a bone to pick with you about Silk. What, just one? Cause well... The- it might turn into a skeleton by the time we're done, but we'll start with just one. See, I didn't think it it was that bad because I just reread it too. Because I mean, hey, an excuse to reread Silk? Sure, I was gonna take that, and I, you know, it it filled me with nostalgia for my youth, not some sort of oh, I'm so sick of these angsty twenty somethings with their angst and their boyfriends and stuff. I don't know. I just found it. Um kind of distracting like you know we've got this cool horror plot going on but then we have to listen to people list their favorite bands and talk about oh i don't know like the hair dye that they use that's so boring that's not horror i sort of liked it it sort of built up the characters and it sort of you know i think it was an attempt at sort of showing that um these characters or people, or whatever, weren't, you know, 100% stable, so it sort of added that element of doubt about whether or not the all this magical stuff that's happening is actually happening, or if maybe they've all just cracked a little because they've been doing too many drugs. 
I don't know, because, I mean, um, in Daughter of Hounds, we go back to uh, some of these characters later on, and they, it's pretty concrete that um, something, maybe not everything that we're seeing is happening, but, but most of it is. Um, whereas in some of her later book works, like uh, in The Red Tree, you get uh, the sense that uh, probably some of this, at least, is not happening. It's just a crazy person. Yeah, but that's reading Silk through the lens of her later works, and Silk was the first. Yeah, and it's it's good to see, um, to read Silk and uh, Tales of Pain and Wonder, um, if only just to see um, some of her, they're sort of like her proto-works, where she'd take these characters and themes and really build on them later on, and uh, so as a ridiculous, ugh, we are ridiculous fangirls, this is, this is, not the Caitlin R. Kiernan podcast. This is really, we talk about other things. We, we talk about Ellen Datlow. For, this is one other thing. We do. We talk about lots of stuff. But mostly just Caitlin R. Kiernan. Uh, apparently. <laughs> but, um, no, it, it was, it's interesting to see sort of how she does, she has grown as an author. Um, I mean, this one is really... Uh, one of her only novels that's like just a straight up horror. It's not um, sort of fiction with horror elements or a dark fantasy that also is horror. It's also a bit horror and also a bit this and that. Um, and I know she doesn't like being classified in any genre, but uh, Caitlin R. Kiernan is not the boss of me. So I classify this as a horror book. I hope she's not listening. I, I guess my problem is, is that I just out it myself as not liking horror. And I mean, you haven't been enjoying uh, the Stephen King Dark Dark Tower books, and that's not exactly horror, but he's you know a horror guy. I've sort of come to the conclusion that I just don't like his stuff. Like I enjoyed on writing, but that was nonfiction. But I I don't enjoy his fiction. I've come to the conclusion, and I'm I'm going to still finish the Dark Tower books. Don't worry, I made a commitment, and I will. But I'm I don't think I'm going to enjoy them. You should. Um... You should check out his short stories at some point, even just one of the collections, because they are... He's very experimental in the different types of stuff he does, so if you don't like one of them, you might like the next one better. But, getting away from Stephen King and back to Caitlin R. Kiernan, uh, because that's all we want to talk about, uh, the... Um, now is actually probably a, a good time to be talking about her, because uh, Between Two Worlds is coming out very soon. It's her best of collection. Yeah, her best of collection. Which I think collects everything she wrote. Well, not everything she wrote, but sort of like the best she wrote between, I think, 1994 and 2004. Yeah, and so it, it, that is just starting to ship now. So I've been tripping out to the mailbox every day wanting to know, oh, is here, is here, is here? And oh, it's not here yet. Yeah, you should, like, if you're listening to this and you're curious about Caitlin or Kiernan, you should see if they still have copies left at Subterranean Press. I know they were really close to selling out last time I heard anything about it. So, you know, run off right now and check because it's going to be so good. And if it's too late by the time you hear this, then you should just read The Red Tree because everyone should read The Red Tree. They can just have one of my copies. Yes, Read The Red Tree and pre-order her next novel, which is out in March, I think, called The Drowning Girl. And that's all from the Caitlin R. Kiernan podcast. I don't know. Yeah. Um. <clears throat> I think we need to make a rule about Caitlin R. Kiernan on this podcast. I think we are not allowed to talk about her novels anymore. 
Um, but what about when the drowning girl comes out? Can we talk about it then? No, we can't talk about it anymore. Uh, we can talk about her if she's in an anthology that we're reading of other stuff. But no more Caitlin or Kiernan. Okay, fine. I, I will enter into this pact with you. Okay, I do so swear it. I do so swear it too, and I'm totally not crossing my fingers or anything. Swear to it by fog and ghosts. <laughs> uh, I, I swear to it by fog and ghosts. Ah, there we go. The most insubstantial things ever. <laughs> right, so I think we've stolen about enough of your reading time for one month. We'll talk to you again in the last week of November when we'll be discussing Supernatural Noir, which oh. has nothing to do with um, Caitlin or Kiernan or Alan Datlow, I promise. Except that she uh, edited it. And there's a Caitlin or Kiernan story in it. <laughs> if you enjoyed this podcast, uh, Irene actually recently appeared on the Sarcastic Voyage podcast to talk about productivity while I was playing video games instead. Uh, you can hear that on iTunes, or you can go to www.algar.com. Um, I recommend that you listen to it, because Irene is great. Aw, thanks! If you have any questions or comments for us, feel free to email us at girlonbookaction at gmail.com, or you can post comments on our blog, girlonbookaction.blogspot.com. Bye, guys! <laughs>